What's the difference between a heretic and a sinner? The sinner makes mistakes. In fact, they're expected to make those mistakes because they're human beings. The heretic decides that the mistake is simply a new way, a new tradition. They make the mistake a new truth. Over the years, we've exposed many heretics. And in fact, we've protected a lot of people from them by exposing some of their heresies. Some of these heretics and their followers have actually called us bad, called us evil, saying that we're increasing anti-Semitism because some of our videos were highlighted by anti-Semitic websites. Well, tonight you'll see a promise of the Torah be fulfilled in the eye of the public, a massive Kiddush Hashem, where Kadosh Baruch Hu shows us what he promised Shlomo HaMelech, that when he loves somebody, when he approves of their way, even their enemies come and say, I'm sorry. Tonight's shiur is not only a shiur of education that is going to rework some of our minds in a direction of truth, but it's also going to show us how HaKadosh Baruch Hu fulfills His promises, massive promises, in order to allow you the merit to sanctify His name. Enjoy, share, and be holy. We're back here, continue our series of Jewish Ashkafa, the Jewish ideology, starting a new week and uh, continuing the series that we've been working on for the last couple of years. Tonight's show will be for the Refua uh, Shlema, for Rabbanit Tzara Bat Anat, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Itamar Ben Sara, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sara, Avimori David Ben Nesriya, Imimorati Doris Bat Jora. Uh, Sarah Bat Esther and all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahides and uh, actually there's also a Ilui uh, Nishmat somebody I forget the name uh, see if I can get it quickly uh, let's see no okay but we'll do the next year for them um, I forget the name. Okay, Zod Hashem. Uh, and uh, thank you for everybody that uh, continues to support, continues to uh, learn with us. Baruch Hashem, we have a bunch of good news uh, for everybody that's uh, with us today. Whether you're new or old, there's certainly a lot of uh, news. Uh, first and foremost, Baruch Hashem, there's a uh, announcement of Kiddush Hashem later tonight that uh, you're going to enjoy. Uh, because this is something that uh, literally fulfills words of the Torah uh, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us. Uh, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu fulfills the words of the Torah in front of not only your eyes, but in front of the public's eyes, it's uh, certainly a uh, sanctification of His name, but even more so uh, when it has to do with specific issues that are far from many people. So that's one. Uh, number two, anybody that wants to uh, contribute to uh, the Kiruv station that uh, and all the other outreach work that we're doing, a lot of you guys are getting, uh, are enjoying these new videos that we're publicizing uh, with our guys that have the uh, Kiruv station here in South Florida, giving out tzitziot, books, USBs, and a bunch of different things. Baruch Hashem, it's giving a lot of chizuk. You saw the uh, most recent video. Uh, there was a guy that uh, got our book from uh, a uh, Chabad uh, here in Florida. 
uh, and uh, says it's the best book uh, that he ever read. And if you want to know anything about Torah, uh, you know, uh, read this book, get this book. So, Baruch Hashem, uh, the book is only in Hebrew right now, but uh, Bezod Hashem will be working on uh, getting it in English as well uh, at some point. Uh, but aside from that, there's a lot of opportunities out there to give uh, chizuk uh, to different people with some of the other books that we're uh, sending out. Anyone that wants to contribute is more than welcome to. This book that I received in uh, Aventura Chabad is one of the best books I ever read and I recommend it to everybody who wants some knowledge in the Torah to get this book. Shabbat Shalom. Second thing is the new podcast by our own uh, dear Talmud Eli uh, has uh, certainly uh, uh, woken up quite a few people that have watched it, myself included, because simply uh, it's you see the words of the Torah and the sages come to life through people's lives. So if you haven't watched that podcast, highly recommend it to watch it as well as the other ones, because uh, they're a different type of chizuk. You're seeing your story being told by other people. Uh, you know, the, your experiences of doing tshuva, of converting, of getting closer to Hashem, of struggling to overcome the difficulties through different people and Baruch Hashem, it's, a, uh, it's helping a lot of people. But as a uh, side note, uh, not so much a side note, is that we're actually starting another uh, project in line with this uh, podcast, which is for any of you that uh, have been our, uh, you know, have been impacted by our shurim and have uh, enjoyed them and have uh, changed your lives and transformed them, uh, that want to tell your story, uh, then, uh, but you don't want your face out there, uh, you just want uh, to uh, put the uh, uh, audio, uh, this is really uh, for women, uh, then uh, until now we haven't done any uh, video interviews of women, uh, so if uh, you want to do an interview and uh, go through your story, uh, we're actually starting a, um, another thing just for women uh, and men that uh, really are, uh, uh, don't want to show their face. You could uh, do a um, video a, um, without actually showing your face. And this is going to be a uh, different type of interview. But nonetheless, we're starting that. We already have one out. Uh, by a woman named Noah. We have another one by a woman named Karmit that uh, uh, should be done uh, in the next week or so. And then there's another one uh, by uh, um, another person that uh, should be done also in the coming uh, days. So anyone that wants to do it can contact me and I'll connect you with the people that will ask you the questions. And Bezad Hashem will have an interview from you as well. Uh, this is uh, certainly a... Uh, a project that is helping people. It's very different than obviously the shurim. It's simply real life experiences that uh, people enjoy to hear and people want to know that they're not alone. So that's the uh, th uh, third thing. Last but not least, for you hardcore fans that uh, want to support our organization but also want to get some uh, stuff, you want to get some merch. Uh, people have asked me about this for many years and Baruch Hashem, we just launched our merch store 
where you can get Be'ezrat Hashem goodies on the store as well as use uh, you know some of the money that's uh, being uh, uh, used aside from paying for the actual shirts and the uh, sweatshirts and all the different things that are on the store. It also supports our organization. Uh, so you can go and uh, to the merch store on the uh, YouTube uh, page. Uh, there's actually now a tab uh, for store. Uh, and also, you could simply go to BH Store. Oh, no, I'm sorry, BH, uh, BH Shop. BHShop.org. And uh, over there, you'll be able to buy one of the many cool products that are there. My personal favorites are the bags, uh, the duffel bag and the uh, uh, blue backpack because they have a lot of uh, cool designs, a lot of work went into it. If you want to buy it, it ships uh, worldwide. So if you want to get it, you can uh, order directly from there. This is by a third party, meaning even though the money for that's uh, 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 above the cost of the items and paying the vendor uh, goes to us, we're not shipping it from here. So if you have issues and things like that, you go directly to that company uh, and they will handle any uh, issues uh, that you have. But generally speaking, uh, it's a well-known organization. So there's shame there shouldn't be any issues. A lot of design, a lot of work went into it, a lot of investment uh, has gone into it. And Bezad Hashem, it'll, uh, you know, it'll help a lot of you guys, but at the same time, make your purchases a mitzvah. You know, if you just made a, a merch store of, you know, producing products just for you guys to have more stuff in your house, there's really no mitzvah there, uh, you know, uh, not for you or for us to, uh, to get you to spend more money. But when you have a uh, big part of the proceeds going to actually supporting Kiruv, then that bag or that shirt or that jacket or whatever it is that you're getting from the store turns into a mitzvah. It's certainly a uh, plus. If you don't want to get anything, no problem. You don't have to uh, like anything else. Most important thing is to learn to and fulfill it. So with that being said, we have now, Baruch Hashem, an opportunity to sanctify Kadosh Baruch Hu's name by learning his Torah and then by publicizing a uh, extraordinary Kiddush Hashem that happened recently. Uh, and by recently, I mean literally in the last couple of days, the last 24 hours. Uh, so the Chazonish is now completing chapter 4 with section 19. Section 19 is the last part of chapter 4. After he uh, told us a very extensive and elaborate explanation about uh, how we are supposed to perceive fulfilling the Torah and uh, being specific about the laws and not just uh, uh, disregarding them uh, as unimportant, where a person thinks that as long as he doesn't kill somebody, he's a good person, or as long as he doesn't drive on Shabbat or smoke a cigarette on Shabbat or work on Shabbat, he's okay. The reality is obviously very different because if, as the Mishnah uh, Bura uh, uh, starts Ilchot Shabbat uh, with uh, a statement from uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Biberdichov, a Jew that does not learn the laws of Shabbat is certainly violating Shabbat. Certainly violating Shabbat. Why? Because there are many, many particular uh, issues that the average person is simply not going to think that it's even connected to desecration of Shabbat, such as ripping off your nails, even if it's, let's say, hanging off, or, uh, or skin that you have uh, hanging off, 
Uh, are you allowed, not allowed to do it? Are you allowed to rip uh, different papers? Some people are very extreme and say, no, you're not allowed to rip anything. But what about if it's ice cream and you're going to open the ice cream and let it melt by the time you eat it? You know, so a person needs to know the details of these things. What about children? Do they have the same particular laws? All of these different things need to be learned in order for you to know for sure that you're actually observing Shabbat. And the same concept goes with tefillin. Just in the uh, uh, last couple of days, I had a, a couple of people that watched the shiur from last week uh, that uh, reached out to me with questions about tefillin. Uh, since they know that we, uh, we sell tefillin and Baruch Hashem, the tefillin that we deal with are of the highest caliber. Uh, they're more expensive than uh, some other places. Uh, but needless to say, I've uh, never had a complaint. And even when I did have a possible complaint uh, two years after the fact, we still sent them new tefillin, but he actually realized that there's no complaint at all and he returned to new tefillin. So the point being is that when you sell good quality tefillin, they're, uh, they're as good as gold, they're as good as diamonds, they're as good as anything you could possibly imagine. Uh, and it's something that you can feel, not just see. But uh, generally speaking, you're never going to find a good pair of tefillin that's not expensive. Why? Because it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort to put together a good pair of tefillin. So the couple of people that reached out to me, one asked me if the tefillin that he's thinking about buying at some online store for uh, $400 or $350, if they're kosher uh, and if they're okay. I told them, obviously, this is uh, something that I personally would not buy even for my enemies because there's no way in the world that you can buy a kosher pair of tefillin uh, for that kind of price in today's world, especially since the price of tefillin has increased by nearly 50% in just the last six months. Uh, there's apparently a shortage and there's an increase in inflation for the material. So tefillin are the most expensive they've ever been. They're also the best quality that they've ever been in history because of all the advanced technology that's out there to make sure that they're specific. But nonetheless, they are much more expensive than ever. If, if somebody's selling you a pair of tefillin for less than $1,000, either he stole them or they're simply not kosher pairs of tefillin. And quite frankly, even $1,000 is questionable these days uh, because the cost is much higher than that in, in real good sources. So point is, is that uh, a good pair of tefillin is going to cost some money. And a guy is asking me if a uh, tefillin that's a uh, 400 bucks is good. Obviously, the answer is no. You want to go take a risk? By all means, you can. That's your life and your eternity on the line. Another case, another person asked me, is this pair of tefillin that's, uh, I think it was uh, $2,000 that we're selling, is this the best you have or is there better? Is there a better pair of tefillin? The answer as far as better is there's always something that could be better. But the general public usually doesn't go for the highest price. You know, one time there was a guy that asked me about, uh, is this better or is this the best you could possibly have? And I told him, no, it all depends uh, how much you want to spend. He's like, no, price is not an issue. Price is not an issue. I said, okay, well, I mean, I can get you uh, one for 3000 for 4000 I can get you uh, ones even for more. Oh, what's the most? I said, as much as you want to spend. It all depends on the Hidurim. Long story short, after driving me crazy for almost a month, I told him that, uh, you know, I got him whatever pair that he uh, asked for, the best you could possibly find. Uh, again, within that budget that he mentioned to me, we got up to, I think it was around eight or $9,000. And then he decided, you know what? I'm just going to go with this tefillin I'm going to get from this other rabbi because it's only $1,500. So, so this is the reason why we don't waste our time 
and negotiating with people and going back and forth. Simply put, I tell people, you want to buy it, buy it. You don't want to buy it, don't buy it. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, I don't have the time. It's not a sales job. You want to buy, it's for you. You don't want to buy, don't buy. Uh, why? Because again, a parrot filin is an investment into your eternity, not mine. Uh, and when you buy something that's not kosher, that means that according to the Gemara, in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, people that don't put on parrot filin uh, simply go to Gainom forever. And this is only for Jews. If you're a non-Jew, if you're in the process of converting, you cannot buy a parrot filin. It's not allowed to sell it to you. Not because it's anything offensive, anything that's uh, bad about you. Simply put, filin are only for Jews. Uh, and a Jew is not allowed to sell a parrot filin to a non-Jew. And the only time you, uh, uh, you sell a parrot filin to a uh, non-Jew is if they are already uh, have a date with the Bedin for conversion, which is usually about a month ahead of time. Then you sell it to them for the sake of having them practice uh, for the actual conversion, because the second they convert, they have to already fulfill all of the mitzvot. But needless to say, this is a, uh, an important thing to know. And uh, the Chazonish told us last week that not being particular with the mitzvah of tefillin could mean that a person can go up to the Bet Din of Heaven and get decreed Genom forever. Why? Because he never put on tefillin. Now the person said, what do you mean? Every day I showed up to shul at 7 o'clock in the morning. I put on a tefillin. I did it every single day for 70 years. What do you mean I didn't put on tefillin? And the Bet Din of Heaven will tell him, yes, you put on those bands around your uh, arm, but it was not a kosher parrot tefillin. It was a tefillin that you bought for some type of discount store. You bought from somebody that you don't even know, and you never checked them. You just assumed that everything is okay. So for those 70 years, it's considered as if you didn't put on tefillin at all. This is uh, important to know. The same concept goes with people that put on the uh, tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam. Uh, it's important for a person that is married to get himself that is already not just doing uh, started doing tshuva but already is in the process of shomer mitzvot for several years to get themselves a pair of rabenu tam tefillin and when they do they have to already uh, make a mental note uh, they could say it uh, uh, outright uh, you know say it loud one time or they could just uh, make, make a, a mental, mental note according to some chachamim that you're not doing this, you're not putting on this tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam because it is a separate mitzvah. It's not a separate mitzvah. You're only doing it because there are some chachamim that say that the halacha uh, is like uh, Rashi, while other chachamim say the halacha uh, is like Rabbeinu Tam. So I'm only going to do the blessing on the uh, tefillin of Rashi and not on the, on the tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam. But if... The uh, Alakha in Shemaim is like Rashi, then I meant the bracha that I made every single day for 70 years on the feeling of Rashi. And the Rabbeinu Tam feeling that I'm putting on is just straps that I'm putting around my arm. They're nothing. If I am, uh, uh, the, uh, the Alakha really is like Rabbeinu Tam, then the uh, Rashi was just straps that I was putting on my arm. It's not really the mitzvah. The real mitzvah is for the Rabbeinu Tam. In so many words, what a person is doing when they're putting on Rabbeinu Tam Tfilin as a married person is eliminating any doubt that they're going to go up to Shemaim and be told they didn't put on Tefillin at all. This is a, uh, a critical thing for those of you that have Yilat Shemaim. Now again, this is not something that we tell people that are brand new, just started keeping Shabbat yesterday to do, because again, this is an expensive 
uh, uh, thing for some people, but nonetheless, if you can afford it, certainly you should do it right away. But either way, it's important for a person to know why they're doing the mitzvot. And that's in essence the issue at hand here. That's what the Chazunish talked about last week, to know why you're doing the mitzvot. Now, with that being said, we have spoken about heretics quite a bit over the years. I highly recommend whoever hasn't watched the uh, lectures we made uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago during Tisha B'Av. There were two lectures uh, discussing Tisha B'Av that are highly recommended lectures for anybody out there because it dis discusses heretics, heresies, false prophets, and things of that nature. And certainly, our business every single day, our business in serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is to help sinners. So what's the difference between somebody that's a sinner, that is, could be desecrating Shabbat, it could be Pogim Ablit, it could be somebody that doesn't learn Torah, it could be somebody that doesn't eat kosher, it could be a lot of different things, and someone that's a heretic. While on one hand, you see us, you know, uh, anyone that knows us, anyone that has dealt with us, anyone that has spoken with us, see that we're obviously very welcoming to every Jew out there that's looking to learn, that's looking to change, that's looking to leave and abandon their falsehood and, and, and go towards Torah. Even if on day one and day two and for the first several months, they're not keeping much. They're still desecrating Shabbat. They're still uh, committing all types of crimes against Hashem. We're still very uh, happy to help them uh, and hold their hand throughout the whole process of their tshuva, however long it takes. As long as they're willing to accept the Torah, we are willing to help them. Where on the other hand, you have people that have more or less been rabbis. Famous rabbis in some cases, observing mitzvot, teaching Torah, in some cases, for decades. And yet we have called them out as heretics, with no shame, with no remorse, with no holding back. So on one hand, you have a guy that's a sinner, could very well be a mechalel shabbat or pogem to all types of sins, that we're you know, welcoming with open arms, hugging and kissing them when we see them. On the other hand, you have people that are Torah observant, or at least it looks like, that are heretics because they made a statement such as, you know, God needs you, or that there's no punishment, or the other nonsensical things that they've said. So the question is, what's the difference between the two? One guy is not keeping all of the Torah. The other guy may, seems like he made one mistake. He made a statement, perhaps more than once, and more than twice, and more than five times, but needless to say, he said it, and he publicized it, that there's no punishment, that God needs you, or that you can bring missionaries to a synagogue, and yet, we have been protesting against those people publicly on a regular basis, without remorse whatsoever, without any, what seems like to be, understanding of their side. Now, of course, these types of things are... Uh, you know, are explained in our many lectures, but we'll explain them again through the words of the Chazonish so people can understand the significant difference between a sinner and a heretic. Um, what? You have an echo. I'm sorry, I don't know what to do with the echo. Can't do much with the echo part. Uh, so, I'll move the uh, mic a little bit. Okay, so now the Chazunish says as follows. 
maintaining the wish to cleave to Hashem on one hand and neglecting the study of the mitzvot on the other creates an entire system that to many people looks like a complete self-sustaining system that declares about itself and about those who adhere to it as if they are saying, God forbid, we are hereby accepting upon ourselves the kingdom of Hashem on the condition that we are not obligated to be particular about the observance of Allahot. This declaration is the gravest departure from the Torah. A person stating such a thing is to be counted among those who throw off the yoke of Torah, and even more so, such an acceptance of Torah on this condition is completely false, for it is contaminated with the impurity of rebellion, a mixture of intentional and well-grounded, calculated and thorough. So here, the Chazonish, in essence, addresses our current generation, that is constantly hearing statements of falsehood by what seems to be the most famous speakers online. And by most famous, I don't mean they're most famous because of their wisdom, they're most famous because their books sold the most amount and all of the great sages of the generation applauded them and give them a skamot. No. Most famous is simply by people's definition of famous, which is subscribers on the internet. How many subscribers and followers they have on their Facebook page and YouTube page. And of course, as I've told you guys many times, anyone that is uh, uh, carefully monitoring certain things will see that many of these uh, so-called famous uh, 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 pages by, of, of these heretics are actually paid for, meaning that they're buying their subscribers, it's not actually real people. But that doesn't really make much of a difference. The public perceives them as famous. They call themselves the most famous, the most popular. And unfortunately, people are falling for it. Not just the general public is falling for it, but even other rabbis are falling for it. They're falling for it so much so that they're actually living by this new standard. They're following this new standard, and now these other rabbis are teaching this new standard. One of the most famous and lethal venom of the Satan is that God needs you. This is obviously against the Torah in many ways, but the point being here is that the Chazonish is telling us that these people look like they're trying to cleave to Hashem. They look like they're righteous. They look like they're following the Torah. And in fact, if you don't know much about Torah, if you're ignorant of the laws of a Torah, then when you hear somebody that speaks against them, it sounds like it's coming from a place of jealousy. It's coming from a place of uh, hatred. It doesn't sound right. Like, why are you speaking against this nice old rabbi? What's wrong with you? He is the most famous rabbi. Why are you speaking against that rabbi? He is a Dayan. He must know more than you. And so on and so forth. So, 
Here, Rabotai, we're going to go through the words, go through the statements of the sages and understand that there is a significant difference between the sinner and the heretic. In last week's parasha, Parashat Ekev, which we didn't have the merit to learn together with you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us at the beginning of the parasha that he, Hashem will love us because we observe the mitzvot. It's literally what he says. It shall be because you will listen to these judgments and you will observe and perform them that Hashem your God will safeguard you, safeguard for you the covenant and the kindness that he swore to your forefathers. He will love you and he will bless you and he will multiply you. See, here we see that the Torah outright says, who does Hashem love? Those that observe his mitzvot. This is not the first or the last time it says it in the Torah. It literally says it right a few verses before it as the last couple of verses of last week's uh, parasha, or two weeks ago, parashat Vayet Hanan, and it says it many other times in the Torah. But then, after HaKadosh Baruch Hu clarifies who he will love, he also tells us a few other things. That if we don't follow these laws, not only will he not love us, but chas v'shalom, he will destroy us. Where the Torah says that we should not go after idolatry, and not only not go after idolatry, but not even the benefits of idolatry, meaning you can't sell idols, you can't take the sacrifice that idol worshippers gave to an idol and benefit from it, such as the wig that is being uh, 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 sacrificed to the idol in India by almost 20 million people each and every single year. And then they take that hair that they used as a sacrifice for an idol and then they make wigs out of it. This is forbidden according to the Torah. Any benefit from idolatry is forbidden. And the Torah says, the carvings of their God you shall burn in fire. You shall not covet silver and gold upon them and take for yourself, lest you be ensnared because of it. For it is an abomination to Hashem your God. And you shall not bring an abomination into your home and become banned like it. You shall surely abhor it and you shall surely abominate it. For it is banned. Here, Kadosh Baruch Hu is literally telling us that by us going towards idolatry or even benefiting from idolatry, we get the same status, Hashem Yishmael as idolatry, banned, abomination. Hashem is disgusted with us if we do such a thing. A Jew that goes and starts believing in Yoshke and the Christian God, Jesus, becomes an abomination in the eyes of Hashem. He becomes disgusting to Hashem. He's no longer that person that the Torah says at the beginning of the parasha that Hashem will love you and will protect you and will do all these things that are good for you. No, no. He becomes an abomination. He becomes disgusting. He will be destroyed like the idolatry. 
It's just a matter of time. So the Torah itself is very, very particular about who Hashem loves and who Hashem hates. In fact, more than hates, is disgusted with. Now, Again, Moshe Rabbeinu reminds us, later on in verse 19, chapter 8, same parasha, it's mentioned literally half a dozen times. And it shall be if you should ever forget Hashem your God and go after the gods of others and worship them and prostrate yourself to them. I testify against you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. Here again, Moshe Rabbeinu gets the clear instructions, the prophecy from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to repeat it again and again. Don't forget about God. Don't go in the way of the idol worshippers. Also, the Torah tells us A warning in Parashat Vayetchanan, Unishmartem Anafshotechem, that you shall protect your souls. The Rambam uses that verse as a teachings, which is gone from the Gemara, that this is referring to protecting your body and not uh, destroying your body, not putting yourself at risk. But the reality is the verse itself is not referring to protecting your body. That's just one thing you learn from it. The actual verse itself is talking about protect your soul from idolatry. is not referring to protect your body and exercise or protect your body and don't to put it yourself at risk and uh, go into a place of danger. Take some, uh, you know, weird uh, thing they call a vaccine, but in reality, they're not even sure if it works or if it kills people. No, it's not talking about that. What it's talking about is protect yourself from idolatry and anything remotely close to idolatry. Meaning heresy, meaning a pikol suit, meaning uh, 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 anything that's against the Torah. Protect yourself from there. That's what the verse actually says. And time and time again, Moshe Rabbeinu warns us not to go in the ways of the heretics, not to go in the ways of those sinners, which he reminds us of, such as Korach, the Tan Aviram, which I mentioned in this parasha, how the ground swallowed them and they went to Gehenom alive. All of these people that were part of the golden calf. So the... Sefer Dvarim, the book of Deuteronomy, the last five weeks of Moshe Rabbeinu's life, he's using this opportunity to warn us until this day from heretics, from heresy, from idolatry, from something that is not the truth. And here comes the Chazonish teaching from there 
this last segment of this chapter, also using this opportunity to warn us against things that look true, look real, but are not. 99% truth when it comes to the Torah is 100% a lie. The Chazunish says, maintaining the wish to cleave to Hashem on one hand, but neglecting the study of mitzvot on the other, creates an entire system that to many people looks like a self-sustaining system. That declares about itself and about those who adhere to it, that they accept the kingdom of heaven as long as they don't have to be particular about the observance of the mitzvot. Here the Chazonish is telling us the significant difference between the sinner and the heretic. The sinner, he is a regular Jew. He's trying his best. Was born in a Froom house. Went to yeshiva. She went to a Jewish seminary. They keep Shabbat. They keep kosher. They keep the basics of the laws. But once in a while, they mess up. He forgot it's Shabbat, so he turned on the light. Ooh, I can't believe it. Or he put something in his mouth and he forgot to make a blessing. Ah, made a mess. Or once in a while, he ate something non-kosher, didn't realize he should have asked. Or he forgot to put on tefillin. Or he just didn't do it. Or he got lazy. Or he wasted seed. Or even became addicted to it. Or she had a relationship with somebody before marriage. Or she wasn't wearing the most modest clothes. They made mistakes. There are bumps in the road. Akadosh Baruch Hu knows about those bumps, expects those bumps, and also expects us to do tshuva, utilizing that great mitzvah that he gave us, that's literally a miraculous mitzvah, to repent, to do tshuva, to say I'm sorry to Hashem, to commit to not doing it again, and fix yourself. And what happens if you fail again? Same process. Say, I'm sorry, Hashem. I'm going to try again. And what if you fail again? Try again. What if you fail again? Try again. As long as you know that each time you're sinning, you fail, you say, I'm sorry, you try again. And you're not failing because you're going to know you're going to say, I'm sorry. Because if you know that you could just say, I'm sorry, and you're in essence trying to gain the system, the Mishnah in Masechet Avot says, Someone that says, I'll just make a sin and then I'm saying I'm sorry. I'll just make a sin and then say I'm sorry. I'll just make a sin and then say I'm sorry. It doesn't work. Why? You're making a mockery of God. No. You failed because you couldn't overcome your evil inclination. You made a mistake. You, whatever happened. It's a one-time thing. You failed. Fix it. The next time you failed is also a one-time thing. Why? Because when you said, I'm sorry, and when you committed to fixing yourself, you really meant it. So when it happened again, whether it is a day later, a week later, a year later, and you messed up again, again you meant genuinely that you're sorry and you're not going to do it again. 
And each time you're trying your best to not do it again. And certainly if it's a different sin. So that is not only something that HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows about. He expects us to fail. He didn't create angels. He created people. People are subject to failure. We're all going to fail. There's a verse even in the Torah, in the Tanakh, says, There's no such thing as a righteous person that never sins. Everybody sins to a certain extent. Obviously, some people more, some people less. But needless to say, sins are expected. But that's when you make a sin, and you say, I'm sorry, and you fix yourself. And you don't make it a whole lifestyle of sins. On the other hand, you have a guy that didn't grow up in a religious house. In fact, grew up in a secular house. Didn't know much about God. Didn't really know much about the truth. And now he found out, oh, I guess the Torah is real. I guess there's Shabbat. I guess I have to do tshuva. And they start. But of course, they don't know everything on day one. The Torah is wider than the ocean. They're only going to know a few things in the beginning. Oh, keep Shabbat. Okay, what does that mean? Don't drive on Shabbat. Don't light fire on Shabbat. Don't watch TV ever, including Shabbat. All types of things. Okay, fine. You can do that. Then Monday comes, tells the rabbi, yeah, rabbi, I kept Shabbat. It was great. We, you know, we cooked a nice meal. We had, well, what do you mean you cooked a nice meal? When did you cook the nice meal? No, we cooked it on, 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 on uh, Saturday afternoon. No, 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 you don't have to cook on Shabbat. No, no, don't worry, rabbi. It wasn't fire. I have one of those... Uh, Hot plates. It's okay. I cooked it on the hot plate. No, no, no. It's the same thing. It's fire. Well, it's not fire. It's fire. So he doesn't know. Okay, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. That sinner is making a mistake of a baby. Akadosh Baruch Hu is happy with him. Why? He's growing. He's not perfect. He's still considered sinning. But it's certainly not the same level of sinning as what he did the day before, a week before. And needless to say, not the same level as the heretic, which we'll get to in a moment. The heretic is the worst of it all, even if he keeps Shabbat. This guy that just started doing tshuva, he doesn't know everything, but he's trying his best. He's growing. She's growing. She says, Rabbi, listen, I changed everything. Can I show you my uh, outfit? No, 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 you can't show me outfit. So, you know, no, no, but it's modest, Rabbi. It's modest. Everything is modest. Okay, still, don't show me nothing. Show it to my wife. Send a picture to my wife. She'll tell me if it's modest or not. That's a normal rabbi will tell you. He never wants to see what you look like. Why? Because he's a normal rabbi and he knows you have to protect your eyes. But if the rabbi says, yeah, let me see your outfit. That rabbi is an Erev Rab, he's a Tameh. So she sends the picture to the rabbinit. The rabbinit starts hitting herself in the head. Ay, 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 what happened to us? And the rabbi says, what happened? What'd she do? She says, she thinks she's modest. I said, no, but she said she bought a whole new thing of modest. She says, yeah, that's the problem. She bought a whole new thing of modest. She spent $10,000 on modest clothes. Said, so, so it's not modest? She goes, it's see-through clothes. It's clothes that literally, I'm not even sure if, you could, if, if, if you're allowed to even call it clothes. So why does she think it's modest? She thinks it's modest because uh, it, uh, it, it gets, you know, it covers the knees. But she doesn't realize that it's, it's not just covering the knees. It has to cover the rest of the body too. And it can't be certain, you know, it can't be skin color, and it can't be this, and it can't be that, so she doesn't know. Okay, that girl, she made a mistake, but she's trying. Akadosh Baruch Hu say, okay, she, she's growing, she's a baby. Tell her the truth, 
She's not modest. She has to change the clothes. No problem. No problem. Mistakes like that are expected. Expected. The guy just converted. The guy just converted. He said, Rabbi, I'm so excited about Judaism. It's fantastic. I, 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 I'm really happy about it. It's wonderful. Okay, fun. Baruch Hashem. Fantastic. Great. So, Rabbi, listen. I wanted to ask you, uh, can, I, uh, uh, can I have all of my family over for Pesach? What do you mean, all of your family for Pesach? It's your first year doing, Pe doing Pesach? You're a new convert? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I want to have all my... Yeah, sure, have your wife and kids. And Pesach's fantastic. No, 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 no. I meant like, you know, I want to have like my cousins and like my parents and all of those people to come over Pesach to show them how beautiful Judaism is. Uh, wait, your parents and your cousins and, and, and uncles and all those people, they're not Jewish, are they? No, 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 no. They're religious Christians. But I want to show them how beautiful uh, Judaism is since they also, like in their messianic uh, uh, church, they, they also, also celebrate Pesach. Pesach. So I, I want to show them, like, how we can do it together. Is Isn't that good for unity? No. No, it's not good for unity. Why? Not allowed to bring a goy to your house for Pesach, even if he's a good goy. Even if he's a nice goy, needless to say, he's an idol worshiper. There's no unity. Not on that day. You want to make unity, you want to, I don't know, invite them over to, uh, because they're your family, invite them on after Pesach, before Pesach, any other day but Pesach. Now, again, if he already did it, because he didn't know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not mad at him, angry with him, and wants to throw him into Gehenna. No! Why? He's new. He's trying. He's not the heretic. He's not the heretic. The room for birth that didn't know, like this young man that just did a video with us. You haven't seen it. It's one of those uh, that's only uh, a voice, only um, audio. He grew up, he says, he grew up in a Froom house. He went to a yeshiva. He did not know that wasting seed is even a sin. He went to yeshiva, he learned Torah, he kept Shabbat, he kept kosher, he kept everything. As he got a little older, teenage age, started familiarizing himself with all types of things of his body, and before you know it, he's addicted to something that you're forbidden to do. But nobody ever mentioned it. Not in the yeshiva, not the rabbi of the kilah, not any of the helpers. Nobody mentioned it. Not in the shulim, not in the sfarim, nothing. <clears throat> the kid was literally 16, 17 years old when he finally, Baruch Hashem, my mercy of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, had him discover our shulim. And after he saw the shulim, he started crying. And he reached out to me. He said, Rabbi, I don't understand. I've been religious my whole life, but I have no Olam Abba. I said, why not? I know why, but you know, still I ask. He said, Rabbi, you, you gave a hundred million sources about how uh, a Jew that wastes seed is no Olam Abba. I said, yeah, but you can do tshuva. I'm going to do tshuva. I'm addicted. I said, you can do tshuva, and I helped him. And Baruch Hashem, he did tshuva, and Baruch Hashem, he got married, Baruch Hashem, he has kids now. But the kid grew up not knowing that he's committing the biggest sin in the world. Didn't know. Do you think HaKadosh Baruch Hu hates him? No, HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves him, but he has to obviously change. He's not like the heretic, which we're going to get to in a moment. So you have the fruit for birth, who didn't know. You have the fruit for birth who makes a mistake. You have the Baal Tshuva who doesn't even know right or left yet. You have the Baal Tshuva as a Gandhi. You have the new Khan. You have all types of people. 
they're all sinners, but they're all trying to get better. And then you have the heretic. Now, there are different forms of heresy. You have the greatest of heretics, which are those that teach heresy, such as God needs you, there's no punishment, you can uh, pray to a person instead of to God, all types of stupidity that is created every other day. But then there's the small little heretics, the little, you know, puppy heretics who don't even know the heretics. This is what the Chazwish is talking about. He says, who are those? Those are the people who simply say, listen, we accept the Torah as long as you don't expect me to keep everything. I'll just keep whatever I feel like. But I accept the Torah. I love God. Don't get me wrong. I love everything he does. Everything is amazing. But listen, keeping everything, that's not for me. I'm just going to do whatever I can. You, my dear friend, are no longer my friend. Why? You just became an enemy of God. By one statement, you have decided that you're not going to fulfill the Torah. Not that you're making mistakes, not that you're not going to, you're not sure how you're going to fulfill all of it, but you have decided that you're not going to keep all of it. You're not even going to try to keep all of it. You're just going to do whatever fits in your little spiritual budget. You know, like a little person goes to buy a car, and he goes to the car lot, and of course the salesman is excited that he tries to size him up. Is he wearing a suit? Is he wearing shorts? Is he wearing, is he wearing what kind of sneakers he has? What kind of this? He's trying to figure out how much money this guy got. He sees the guy's wearing $500 pair of sneakers, a $600 belt, and he has a watch that looks like it's $50,000. Immediately takes him to the luxury department. Sees the guy's wearing a little swatch, $4 watch. The sneakers look like he just got them from a garbage pail. Okay, maybe we could finance you one of our used cars that was just thrown out, but we'll finance a few. Like, you know, that's, that's what he's trying to figure out. In reality, in today's world, it's usually the opposite. The guy that's wearing the worn-out shoes and the $3 watch, that's usually the billionaire. The guy that's wearing all of his assets on himself is usually the guy that doesn't have any money whatsoever because he's wearing it. But, needless to say, the guy comes in, wants to buy a car. So the salesman says to him, okay, sir, what are you looking to buy? Oh, you know, we need a car for the family. We need a diamond for the family. We need a watch for the family. We need a house for the family. All types of things for the family. Great, no problem. We're here to provide for the family. What would your family like is not the good question. How much can your family afford is the right question. How much can you afford? What's your budget? Why? Based on your budget, that's how we can determine what your family can have because what they want to have is simply irrelevant. What's your budget? Oh, within my budget, I can afford uh, such and such. Okay, for that, maybe you can get one of our luxury cars. Maybe you can get one of the million dollar washes. Maybe you can get one of the planes. You can get a lot of things. For that kind of budget, for person number two, maybe you can get a toy car. Maybe we'll get you like one of those 
little plastic eggs you get from a vending machine. And in there, it's going to be a little Lego. You can put the card together and zoom out of here so we can get a real customer. Whichever one, depending on your budget. This is all funny and good, but in reality, if you play that game in the world of the Torah, you are in big trouble. Why? There is no such thing as budget. A person has to come to the king of kings, saying, Thank you very much for creating me because you don't need me. Thank you very much for allowing me to serve you. And I will do my best to serve you with happiness, to fulfill all of your mitzvot. Praise your name forever. And if I mess up, please forgive me and give me another chance. And never already take into consideration, oh, I'm going to fail, so I might as well not try. No, 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 my friend. You don't go to a Kadosh Baruch Hu with a budget. When a Kadosh Baruch Hu says, you want it, you say, I'll take two. I'll take all of it. That's what Ami Yisrael did in Mount Sinai. A Kadosh Baruch Hu says, you want the Torah? They said, nah, seven ishma. We will do, then we'll figure out what it sells. Meaning, we're accepting all of it even without knowing all the details. The second you say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, listen, can I, can, can I pick like a few things that really get on my nerves? I don't want them. Can I pick a few things that I want and just the rest of them, can you just like put them on like a, on like a back order list or something? Or like, on some, can you give it to somebody else? Can you give it to somebody else? Can like, my friend do it for me? He's really religious. You can't do any of that stuff. Why? HaKadosh Baruch gave it to us as a complete package. Do your best. Your best means try with all of your heart to do everything the best you can. And when you fail, because you will, you try again and again and again. And again, without ever declaring, I'm just not going to try anymore. The second you say, this is not for me, I'm not going to do this anymore, you just took yourself from being a sinner into a place of heresy. A sinner gets punished. A heretic loses everything. And there's a very, very big difference between the two. Says the Chazonish, when a person says he's accepting the Torah, he likes it, but he's created what seems like a self-sustaining system that declares that we accept the Torah, we accept the kingdom of heaven on the condition that we're not obligated to be particular in the observance of the halachot, this declaration is of the greatest departure from the Torah. What does he mean, this declaration is the worst thing, the departure from the Torah? The Rambam Baskins la'alacha. A Jew that says, I will keep the Torah, everything, except this one thing. I believe in the Torah, all of it, except this one word. I believe in the oral Torah, except this one statement by the sages. Those people are all considered heretics, cannot be counted on a minyan, have no share of the world to come. Why? 
they have made their sinning systematic. <clears throat> Meaning, they're expecting to sin, and they're expecting God to simply accept them as is. You have now turned yourself into a mini-God. When you give God the conditions, rather than you follow His conditions, you have made yourself a God and Him the servant. That is heresy. The Rav Mibrisk, or as they say in English, the Briskarov, was known as an awesome, extraordinary tzaddik. When it came to Kriyat Shema, saying the Shema Yisraeli every day, anyone that went over Gemara Masechet Brachot, see that the sages <clears throat> fought tooth and nail over how to say Shema Yisrael. And it's very critical to say it properly with the right pronunciations. And to do your outright best. But of course, if you have a custom that came from Ashkenaz, it's obviously your pronunciations are a world of difference between your pronunciation if you came from the Sephardic culture. Needless to say, if you're a Baal Tshuva or if you're a convert, you don't speak Hebrew at all. Now everyone knows that the ones that have the closest pronunciation to the what the original truth is, is the pronunciation of the Yemenite Jews. There's no real debate over that. But that does not mean that everybody has to change and become like the Yemenites are. Why? Because there are traditions that it's acceptable that whatever your, or, you know, uh, father taught you, your grandfather, your, your, your heritage has taught you as your customs in Ashkenaz, in uh, the other parts of, uh, of Sephardic Jewry. Those are fine too. But some of the Chachamim were concerned about this. One of them being the Briskarov. He knew that the way that the, he would pronounce the word um, Esiv, was like esiv. Esiv sounds like it's grass. Like it sound, it's the word is grass, but esiv is like with the aleph, but the word is with the ein. So you're supposed to say it esiv. So he would repeat the word esiv, esiv, es. He would repeat it several times until he finally got it right because it was hard for him because this is not how he grew up. He didn't grow up saying ah. You know, Ashkenazim have a hard time saying Cha and Ah. Whereas Faradim, that's like, Ah, everything's like, like, Ah, Ah, Ah. We always sound like we're saying Ah, even if we're not saying Ah. Everything's Ah. Everything's Cha. But if you're Ashkenazim, everything's sweet. So, the Briskarov would repeat Asif multiple times. Some of the students that would hear him say Shema Yisrael, they took it upon themselves too. Esev, 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 Esev. Now he did it because of Yirat Shemaim. They did it because they copycats. That's it. When it came to Shema Yisrael, it would take him a very long time to finish Shema Yisrael. When it came to Pesach, he was so careful with the matzah, he would literally burn it to a crisp. Every year, he'd burn it to a crisp. They would tell him, Kvodarav, 
for sure you've eliminated the chametz. But we're not sure if it's still considered matzah. That's how much she burned it. Very, very strict, it would appear, over some of these mitzvot. But yet, during Sukkot, <clears throat> where the Chachamim say that, of course, you're not allowed to have a meal outside of the Sukkah during the week of Sukkot, but if it's just drinking a glass of water, <clears throat> you can drink it outside of the Sukkah, but if you want to be stringent and even drink everything in the Sukkah, blessing will come upon you. The Brishkarav would not observe this stringency and would actually drink outside of the Sukkah. So the, so the Talmudim came to him and said, Kvod Rav, I don't understand. Why, why don't you keep the simple stringency of drinking in the Sukkah when you're so strict with everything else? Briskarov looked at them for me, strict? I'm not strict at all. I'm never strict. Now they're confused. What? You're not strict? Saying Shema Yisrael takes you a half hour. The average person finishes in, I don't know, a couple of minutes. Half hour. Shema Yisrael every day. Isif, 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 Isif. Every word you repeat multiple times until you get it right. On Pesach, we're not sure if you're eating matzah or you're eating coal. You're strict. Because no, I'm not strict at all. It's just that I'm trying to fulfill the minimum requirement and I'm not sure I'm doing it. And because I'm afraid of a Kadosh Baruch Hu, that I'm not fulfilling the minimum that's required of me, I keep doing it until I get it right. So because I'm trying to fulfill my minimum requirement, it looks like I'm being stringent. But in reality, I'm not being stringent. Meaning that his high level of Yirat Shamaim allowed him to understand that the minimum requirement requires a lot of effort. To others, it may seem like a stringency. But he says, I'm not stringent at all. I'm just fulfilling the minimum requirement. If I don't have to be, if this is not uh, 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 something that I have to do, it's a stringency. I could choose to do it or not do it, like the drinking water part. I don't have to do it. It's not an obligation. So I don't do it. Meaning that his stringencies came from his extraordinary effort to fulfill the minimum requirement because of his high level of Yirat Shemaim, high level of fear of Hashem. Whereas sometimes you have people that are stringent on small things, but very lenient on the big things. And such was the issue with a Bachul that was learning in the Chabad Lubavitch uh, Yeshivot. When the teacher came to the Lubavitch Rebbe, Allah Shalom, and told the Rebbe, and this was recorded, that they say this Bachul that's in the Yeshiva, he's excellent in everything. He learns Torah, he learns the Tanya with us. He's, uh, you know, he, everything is good. He's good behavior. But we need the Rebbe to maybe write him a, a letter of Chizuk because he has a small problem. 
What's the problem? Says the Rebbe. And he say, well, he can never make it to Shachrit on time. So he's constantly missing the time for Shachrit in Shema Yisrael. So maybe we can get a letter from the Rebbe to give him some chizuk. And the Rebbe wrote a letter with very sharp words. Words that even the teachers did not expect or ever see coming from the Rebbe otherwise. And he says to the boy, this is sheer arrogance and foolishness. What value is all that you do if you're a mumar forsaking one of the biblical mitzvot? He's learning Torah so he feels good. He comes to yeshiva so he feels good. He eats kosher so he feels good. He does all these things and he feels good. So he figures, all right, so what if I wake up late and I don't pray on time and I just do uh, my Shema uh, Yisrael even after it's too late? So what? You just forsake a biblical mitzvah, but not one time. You didn't make a mistake. It's a shita. It's on a regular basis. It's your way of life. You're always forgetting. You don't care about waking up in the morning. You don't wake up waking up. You don't care about doing the Shema Yisrael. You just figure, God will accept me the way I am because I'm already doing enough elsewhere. Says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, you have become a mumal. Why? You desecrated one of the biblical mitzvot. You think that it's enough to do everything else? No, it doesn't work that way. You can't bribe God by doing really good one place but forsaking something else. A mistake is one thing, but declaring that you are not going to follow the mitzvot, that is heresy. Now, there are certain people that are known to be like these people that the Chazonish is mentioning. In Hebrew, they call them Chafifnikim. Chafifnikim are like people that are like nonchalant, you know, everything is like, you know, come on, light, light, take it easy. Take it easy, whatever, do your best, do whatever you can, do it today, don't do it tomorrow, whatever, just come, just come. Yeah, but listen, I can't come to shul unless, uh, on Shabbat unless I drive. Okay, listen, just come. Don't worry. God loves you anyway. No, he doesn't. You drive on Shabbat, God hates you. You drive on Shabbat, God hates you. Unless you drive into the hospital because somebody's dying. I can't, uh, I can't show up uh, because uh, I'm in, uh, you know, I'm in a business meeting. Okay, so come after the meeting. No, no, listen, I'm not sure if I come because... I'm uh, in a non-kosher restaurant and it's uh, they're serving... Well, hold on a second. What non-kosher restaurant? Yeah, we're having a good meal over here. No, you can't eat non-kosher. No, but tomorrow I'm going to eat kosher. doesn't work that way. People think that they, if, as long as they eat kosher the whole year, it's okay to cheat. As long as she's modest inside the house, it's okay to cheat by being not modest outside. As long as she's wearing a snood or some type of kisui rosh the whole year, it's okay that she wears a long wig longer than the exile on the wedding day for somebody or some bar mitzvah. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. 
A Jew has to understand. HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows what's in your heart. If you're going to wear your Kisui Rosh all year, for years, but anytime there's a party, you're going to wear that long wig, longer than the exile, knowing that it's incorrect, knowing that it's inappropriate, knowing that it's forbidden, guess what? Your Kisui Rosh for those last several years is worthless. You eat kosher every single day, but on that office party, you had a few bites of that non-kosher food, knowing that, it's, uh, that you're going to do it, knowing that there's not going to be kosher food there, and knowing you're going to eat there, and you still did it, and the only reason you ate kosher is because it was convenient, not because of kosher, you have a very serious problem. It's not a mistake. It's a shita. These types of chafifnik mentalities, nonchalant mentalities, are what the Chazonish is warning us, warning us about where he's in essence saying that when you say that I'll observe the Torah as long as you don't expect me to keep all of it. That is a declaration of the gravest departure from the Torah. And the Rambam Paskins Lalecha, a person like that is considered a mumal to the entire Torah. Now, you'll have sometimes different leaders calling themselves rabbis, in other cases they're part of the board, where they invite people to events, to different ceremonies, knowing that these people are not going to fulfill the Torah, in fact, knowing that they're going to desecrate the Torah. They have a guy that they know that he only comes to shul just to talk. He doesn't come to pray. Nah, come to shul anyway. It's better he's in shul than he's somewhere else. No, that's not true. It's better you tell him, if you want to come to shul, don't talk. Pray. Talk to Hashem, not to people. You know the guy is violating Shabbat? Tell him, listen, if you're going to come, you have to stay here. You can't go back and forth. You can't drive on Shabbat. No, no, but at least he comes to shul, so it's good. No, it's not good. It's not good to enable people to sin and make them think it's okay. The guy is giving staka. Yeah, but you know that he has stolen money on his hands. You know that he stole it from people. He charged people high interest. He has an uh, inappropriate business. He's doing all types of things that are illegal. Yeah, but at least he gives staka to help the community. He's not helping the community. He's cursing the community. He's bringing anti-Semitism on the community. And many people do their own accounting in order to justify the sinners that are not sinning as a one-time mistake but are doing it as a strategy. I remember there was one guy that was very knowledgeable in Torah, but it's hard for me to call him a Talmud Chacham. Extraordinarily knowledgeable in Torah, but very hard to call him a Talmud Chacham. Why? He has a uncle that's apparently a multi-millionaire. And he donates an extraordinary amount of money everywhere. He literally throws his money around to this shul, to that shul, to every, every place that he goes to. 
Somebody told me, I'm not sure if it's true, but it's allowed to believe Lashon on such a person. Because he doesn't keep Torah and Mitzvot. Is that on the high holidays, he drives from shul to shul when it's not allowed to drive. And he gets aliyot in every shul. Why? Because he donates a fortune in every place. He goes at the right times that he knows. Oh yeah, this one Yom Kippur, they get to this Aliyah by this time. This one Yom Kippur, they go down. And each place, 10, 20, 50, 100,000. And they all know that he just drove to shul and they accept his money. They're partner to the crime. Tell him your money's not good here. Yeah, but what about the rent? Let a Kadosh Baruch Hu protect the rent. Let a Kadosh Baruch Hu pay for the rent. He doesn't need this mule, this heretic with a shita to pay the rent. But unfortunately, Abutai, there are sometimes people that, even if they want to do the right thing, they're not allowed to do the right thing because they have a board of directors full of apikosim, where the actual board is apikosim. So they won't even let the rabbi be a rabbi. So, here the Chazoni says, these Hafifnikim, these nonchalant types of people that are in essence living a life where they're saying, we'll accept the Torah, we'll come when we want to come, we'll pray when we want to pray, we'll give when we want to give, we'll learn when we want to learn, we'll just do whatever we want. And if it's in a, if the Torah fits within our life, within our spiritual budget, we'll do it. If it doesn't, we're not going to do it. Those people, Rabotai, have declared the gravest departure from the Torah. And the Midrash Rabbah Eicha says, for such a reason, HaKadosh Baruch Hu destroyed the Bet HaMikdash. Because at the time of the Bet HaMikdash, the people got to a high level of heresy. What kind of heresy? They would commit murder. They would f serve idols. They would commit all types of immorality. And then they would go to the Bet HaMikdash. Why are you coming to the Bet HaMikdash? Oh, we're coming to clean ourselves up. Do tshuva. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to those people, you didn't come to do tshuva because you want to fix your life. You came to the Bet HaMikdash <clears throat> after murder, after rape, after charging people high interest, after committing adultery, after being with, uh, with all types of goyot, after committing all these crimes, not because you want to change your life. You're coming here to the Bet HaMikdash to bring a sacrifice, to in essence clean your account through the sacrifice, clean the sins, so you could just not get punished right now and go make more sins. You have turned my Bet HaMikdash into a place where you clean up yourself in order to enable you to sin more. The same as what people do today, Hashem Yishmo, in the high holidays. They don't go to shul the whole year. They don't pray the whole year. They don't keep Shabbat the whole year. They don't keep kosher the whole year. They don't have kosher business the whole year. But they come to the shul on the high holidays and they donate a fortune and they get the biggest kavod 
Oh, Chazaku Baruch for being a donor. And let's give him an aliyah. And let's give him an aliyah and give him a lot of kavod because he just donated a fortune. What fortune? You brought a curse in the community. You have turned this Beta Mikdash Katan into a place that enables you to sin. And for that, Akadosh Baruch Hu says, says the Mikdash Echa, Akadosh Baruch Hu says, now I must destroy my Beta Mikdash because you have used it to enable you to sin more. Why? You didn't come here to clean yourself up and stay clean. You came here to clean yourself up so I will punish you right away so you can sin more. That's not what my Betamikdash is supposed to be for. You've turned your sins into a shita, into a strategy, into a system. That makes you a heretic. That makes you a heretic. This Kalim is one of the important things that a person must know that while HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us as imperfect beings that he knows are going to fail that he knows are going to struggle that he knows are going to have bumps in the road once in a while we're going to make a mistake we're going to disrespect our parents we're going to disrespect God even we're going to forget a mitzvah we're going to make a sin we're going to do all types of things but so long as we don't make it systematic where we're simply deciding this mitzvah is not for me. As long as we don't do such a thing, as long as every time we do, we make a mistake, we do a sin, we do tshuva. We don't say, listen, from now on I'm not keeping it. No, no. Okay, I made a mistake. I'm sorry, Hashem, I'm going to try again. I'm sorry, Hashem, Yeah, but yesterday I'm sorry also and I screwed up again. Yes, yesterday was yesterday. Today is today, and tomorrow is tomorrow. And if HaKadosh gives you the next day, then the next day is going to be the next day. And every day say, I'm sorry. But don't make it a systematic a system of failure where you simply have decided this mitzvah is not for you. Because the moment you decide this mitzvah is not for you, you have now put yourself in the category of heresy. And sometimes you're going to have the Satan know that you are weak and he's going to send you a special messenger. Like one of my Talmudim, God bless him for being such a strong neshama, he tells me that he went to a yeshiva. It's a Baal Tshuva, but he went to a yeshiva as an adult. And he has learned many of my shulim, Hashem, and many books and so on, so he's been already well-versed. And he goes to yeshiva, and one of the people mentions the issues of bleat, bleat kodesh, not wasting seed, and so on. <clears throat> and the rabbi, 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 evil by, maybe not rabbi, said, "No, nah, no, nah, it's not for this generation." What do you mean it's not for this generation? The boy says to him, or the man says to him. No, oh, it's not for this generation. That's a. What do you mean? But the rabbis say, the sages say that a person that wastes seed, his prayers are not answered. This chutzpan, this chatzuf, this amaaretz, this kofel gamul, there's literally no, not enough adjectives that I could describe this apikos that calls himself a rabbi, says in front of a whole class of people, 
I always see it and God answers my prayers. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that that the school, that the the, the, the whole institution didn't blow up with such a statement. That's the mercy of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Literally allows people to desecrate his name on a regular basis. He doesn't say anything. That's his greatness. This Apikola says, I violate the Torah regularly, but Hashem still listens to my prayers. I go against the Shulchan Aruch that says this is the worst, most heinous crime in the entire Torah on a regular basis. But Hashem answers my prayers, he says. And he's in a position to teach. Do you know why? Because the Satan pays cash. The Satan also has employees. And he's allowed to give people different tests. He's allowed to give people different obstacles. Some of those listeners, unfortunately became sinners as a result of this. Others got strengthened through it and realized this is not the place for me and went back to the truth. Because they realized that even if the guy didn't want to talk about it, that's one thing, but to literally lie about it, there's something wrong here. Now, there are crazy people out there that literally turn the mitzvot into sins and the sins into mitzvot by deciding to create their own version of Judaism, their own version of the Torah. As we said, the Torah says that the tefillin for a Jew is an obligation. A Jew that doesn't put on tefillin, that means that they go to Gehenom forever. That's what the Gemara in Masechet Boshara, page 17, he says. If a Jew listens to somebody, says, don't be so strict. Do whatever you feel like. Hashem loves you no matter what. That Jew is in trouble if he's listening to such a person. Why? Because that person is not going to stop there. He's going to get you to believe other types of nonsense. Such as this now infamous new cult this God needs you cult that says God needs you. But what benefit do they have in teaching people that God needs you? What do they get out of it? Because they're saying God needs you in order to make you believe that the mitzvot that you're doing are in essence doing God a kindness. You're doing Him a favor because He needs you. He needs the mitzvot. And because he needs the mitzvot and now you're doing them, there's no need for you to fulfill all of the mitzvot. You could just pick and choose because he, after all, he needs you according to them. If he needs the mitzvot, then they're turning our creator into some homeless person. A homeless person if you tell me, here's, a, here's some change, here's a dollar, here's five dollars, here's fifty dollars, here's a million dollars, whatever, he's going to take it. They've turned our creator, the king of kings, into a homeless person. Why? They say God needs you. Because if he needs you, then he'll accept whatever you can give him. No matter what you give him. And he cannot judge you as a result 
of him needing you. So you can tell him, listen, I'll keep Shabbat, but I'm not going to protect my wheat. Yeah, but the Shukhan says you have to protect the wheat. The Ten Commandments says you have to protect the wheat. The entire Torah says you have to protect the wheat. Yeah, but, but, uh, but Manus the Menace and Y.Y. Jacobson and the Apikosim from Osamach and Eshtorah, they're teaching God needs you. And he needs this and he needs that and all of the need, need, need. So if he needs, then I'll give him what he needs. I'll give him Shabbat, but I'll continue wasting seed. And guess what? Since we're already talking about the things that he needs and I'm helping him out, then uh, I'll give Staka, but I'll marry a Goya. I'll give Staka, but uh, my, uh, my girlfriend, Fatima, she's going to be my wife. We're going we're gonna to have little, uh, little pugs together. Because he needs me. So I give charity, right? So I'm helping him out because he's poor. He can't judge me if I need me. In so many words, they take the entire Torah and destroy it with a single statement that sounds innocent, sounds good, sounds friendly. And they even say, oh, if God doesn't need you, that doesn't sound friendly. That sounds like he's separate from you. He's far from you. That's not a lovable God. You chamo chamotai, you donkey of donkeys. What do you think God is? Your friend? You think God thinks like you? God doesn't think like you. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verse number 8 and 9, HaKadosh clearly says, For my plans are not your plans. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. Nor are my ways your ways, declares God. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways high above your ways, and my plans above your plans. In so many words, in that little peanut brain that you have that says God needs you, even if that brain magnified by a million, by a billion, if you combined all of those heretical brains together, they wouldn't equal a single thought of a Kadosh Baruch Hu You are saying God needs you because since everything you do, you do it because you need something and therefore he does because he needs something. You're comparing your lowly miserable plans to the Creator's plans, your lowly miserable acts to the Creator's acts, your desecration of your Creator to the Creator of the creation. You're comparing your mind and your thoughts and your will to the one who created will. And this Rabutai is all a strategic plan of heresy. As the Orach Haim HaKadosh says, before Mashiach comes, we will reach the 50th level of Tum'ah, a level higher than any other generation, including Mitzrayim. 
We're over there, we got to the highest level of 49, which was idolatry. What's the 50th level if it's worse than idolatry? Heresy. Heresy is the worst level of, of tumah, of impurity. But not just heresy saying, listen, this or that, that is uh, somehow makes sense. No, it's the heresy with a shita, with a strategy in order to remove the entire Torah by things that sound lovable, by things that sound rational, by things that sound like they're true. And this Rabotaya Karim is what the Chazonish is telling us and warning us about. Where our forefathers fought tooth and nail against heresy, not because heresy was created today. Heresy has always been around. But its worst status is today. Not because there's new thoughts today. The sages have discussed this whole notion of heresy about God needs you and the likes many times in the books, and as I mentioned it in other lectures. Whether it's the Leshem, the Kabbalist, that was from the uh, uh, the grandfather of Rabbi Yashiv about 100 plus years ago, or it's the Rabbeinu Yonah 800 years ago, almost 700 years ago, or it's the Rambam, or it's the, uh, in the, uh, in the Gemara itself. It's all over the Torah talking about dealing with these heretics. The problem today is not that there's a new form of heresy. The problem today is that there is a new level of ignorance. Ignorance combined with heresy is very deadly. Very, very deadly. Now, when a person reads things in the Torah, they have to understand that if it's mentioned in the Torah, it's relevant to you and me and to every single generation. The Gemara in Masechet Megillah says how many prophets did Am Yisrael have in the Torah? 55, 48 men, 7 women. How many prophets did Am Yisrael have in general? More than 1.2 million. So where are the prophecies of the other 1.2 million prophets? Why are only 55 prophecies or prophets mentioned in the Torah in the Tanakh? Because the prophecies of the 1.2 million were only relevant to their times, to their generation. And thereby we conclude that whatever is mentioned in our Tanakh by those 55 prophets are prophecies that are relevant to every single generation. One of the things we see in the Torah is that Shlomo HaMelech says, Ki en There's nothing new under the sun. Why would such a statement be considered a prophetic statement and needless to say something necessary for us to believe, not just to know? There's nothing new under the sun. It's critical for us to believe and not just to know. Because if there's nothing new under the sun, as Shlomo HaMelech says, that means that Whatever is here today, whether it's the heresies of today, or the pritzut of today, or the foolishness of today, or whatever is there today, it's not new. Therefore, we can find a teaching about it from the sages of yesteryear, our forefathers, our sages, teaching about it, 
and telling us how to solve it. Why? It's not new. If it's not new, they've addressed it. It's in the books. You just have to find it. If it is new, then Hashem has abandoned His children to problems they don't know how to deal with. Because if it's new, if it's something we've never seen, how do you expect us to deal with it? And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the Torah, which is the instruction. Not just the instruction for Moshe Rabbeinu, not just the instruction for Rabbi Akiva, not just the instruction for the Rambam, not just the instruction for the Arizal, not just the instruction for the Gdolei Ado that live among us today. No, it's for all of us. The Torah is for all of us. Everything that's in the Torah is relevant to us today. If we accept all of it, we can fulfill all of it. But the moment we start making new things, like God needs you, and that He doesn't need this, and He doesn't do this, and all types of things that have no tradition and no, no truth to them, we are creating a new religion. And that religion is against the Torah. Automatically, that religion becomes an enemy of the Torah. This, Rabotai, is also what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to the prophet Yonah. The Dever Rabbi Eliezer, Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, in chapter 43, says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent the prophet Yonah to Nineveh. Why did he, pray, why did he send him to, to, to the Nineveh? Because they were sinning. So a lot of people sin. Why send a prophet, a Jewish prophet, to go and help a bunch of goyim? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu said their leader has seen my wrath before. His name is Paro. Paro was the same Paro of Mitzrayim. He believes in God. But now he has taken his eye off the ball and he's allowed his people of Nineveh to do whatever they want. And therefore the men started marrying men. The women started marrying women. That's what the Pekeda Rabbi Eliezer is bringing here. That's what Rabbi Vadya brings also in Anaf Etzavot. Immorality became standard. And apparently, Paro doesn't realize it. Go tell him that if he doesn't fix it, I'm going to destroy all of them. Once the sinning has become a shita, it's become systematic, they lose their right to exist. So long as a person is a sinner, but is trying to do his best, is trying to fix, fine. Hashem will have mercy on you and have patience with you and eventually... You'll be able to succeed if you truly mean to do your best. But the second a person has made themselves a systematic sinner, they become an enemy of God. And that's in essence one of the things that the Rambam writes in his Alachai and Chotshuva that apparently these God needs you people, heretics, don't understand. Apparently they never read a word of Torah. As the Rambam writes in chapter 7 of Ilchot, Tshuva, in Alachah number 5, all the prophets commanded the people to do tshuva, to repent. Israel will only be redeemed through tshuva. And the Torah has already promised that ultimately Am Yisrael will repent towards the end of their exile. And immediately she will be redeemed. As the Torah in Sefer Dvarim chapter 30 
verse number one through three says, there shall be there shall come a time when you will experience all these things and you will return to God, your Lord. Here the Rambam is telling us a promise that he will once again gather you from among the nations where God, your Lord, scattered you. There's a promise in the Torah that Am Yisrael will do tshuva. So does that mean that Hashem is simply going to wait forever? No, he's saying there's going to come a time people are going to do tshuva. But how? Some people hate the Torah. Some people believe things that are the opposite of the Torah. So what is the Rambam saying here? It's going to come a time where everyone is going to be given a choice. Everyone is going to be given a choice to either follow the truth or follow the heresy. Once you've decided to follow the truth all the way, you've made your choice. You're in the right place. Once you've decided you're going to continue following the heresy, you have removed yourself from being included in this prophecy because you're no longer part of Am Yisrael. And that's why the Rambam continues to elaborate. And he says, Tshuva, what is Tshuva? What is implied by Tshuva? Tshuva brings near those who are far removed. Previously, this person was hated by God, disgusting, far removed, an abomination. Now he's beloved, he's desirable, close and dear. This is Rambam Alacha. He's outright telling you, when you are following the ways of God, Hashem loves you. When not, you're considered disgusting. He hates you. You're far removed. You're an abomination. Why? He created you so you can serve Him for your benefit, not His. Because it's your purpose, not His. The moment a person thinks that God needs His service, you have now destroyed the Torah. Because if He needs it, then you get to choose what to provide Him. You have turned yourself into a God. And that is not just heresy. It's idol worship. Hence the reason why, Rabotai, when people like to attack us and say, it's too strong, it's too this, it's too that, and we reply with simple response, like Rabotenu, the briskerav, who says, I'm not stringent, I'm just doing the basics. So of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to give us gifts. He wants to show people what the truth is. Make it clear as day. And Ishtabach Shimolaad is doing it on a regular basis. People ask me, can you tell me about the miracle of today? I'll tell you about the miracle of today. Every day. But now is a miracle for everybody's sake. A few years ago, we made videos, a whole series of videos against the terrible, evil, wicked business of cash advance, which unfortunately has trapped some of our brethren, our Jewish brethren that are in that business. Some of them are even founders of evil companies that are lending money with high interest mainly to non-Jews. This is a forbidden business, a forsaken business, and unfortunately it's a business that has destroyed many eternities. But, aside from myself, I haven't heard a single speaker speak 
against that forsaken business. In fact, there are some rabbis that promote it and tell their congregants that are donating a lot of money that Yeshach Koach. Why? You're allowed to lend the Gentile money with interest. And there's no definition of how much interest. That just simply means the And they're allowing themselves to be because of their greed. Because anyone that would actually study the Allah will see there's no such thing as charging interest that has 400% interest to Gentiles being allowed. According to anybody. But anyway, we've spoken strongly against this sinful business. A business that literally is predatory lending. And of course, several people that were in the crowd, that were watching online, that heard me speak, asked me questions, and Bochasher, many of them left that business. Did Shuva. But some fought tooth and nail. No, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know this. How can you say that publicly? You are creating anti Semitism. By saying such things, because we brought all types of historical proofs of how usury is one of the pretexts that the anti-Semites have used to justify their anti-Semitism and their pogroms and inquisitions and Holocaust. One of the reasons why Hitler hated the Jews was because of usury, high interest. One of the reasons why Jews were massacred in England, in Morocco, in different places around the world was because of high interest loans. Shlomo HaMelech forbid this business. Shlomo HaMelech 3,000 years ago forbid this business. But we said it, and of course, those that were really glued to the money and not the Torah fought against it. And they thought they got some support when they saw that a few anti-Semites that hate Jews and are just looking for an excuse took two minutes out of my, one of my videos where I talk about this particular business being a horrible business, forsaken business, and how the Jews are doing it. And now they're publicizing it and literally got millions of views in different anti-Semite websites. Oh, look, at least there's this honest rabbi telling us the truth about the Jews doing all these bad things. And some of them contacted me these Jews, Rabbi, you're creating anti-Semites. Some of them didn't call me Rabbi. Some of, some of them called me nasty names, cursed me out. You're creating anti-Semitism by saying all these things about the Jewish brothers. So we had a response video. Of course, after always after speaking to my Rav to see is there a mistake we made? Did we do the right thing? Getting reassurance that what we're doing is the right thing. And of course, we got the reassurance because we had the assurance before we did it. Not a cowboy. I don't just speak out of thin air. Anyway, we did a response video in another lecture. We said, Baruch Hashem, anti-Semites are learning Torah from us. Good, they're learning my videos where I'm saying that these are wicked Jews that are in that business, whether they have a beard and claim to be religious or not. Any Jew that's in this business is a wicked Jew. Why? It's not a business according to the Torah. And at least the anti-Semites will see the difference. Of course, some people appreciated it. Others said it's making things even worse. Your own Reuven is 
creating anti-Semitism. While the heretics of the world that say God needs you and bring missionaries to Shul, they're creating unity. Shlomo HaMelech says, Birzot Hashem Darkeish, Gam Oivav Yeshlimimo. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to show somebody that he's happy with them, he'll even send his enemies to come say, I'm sorry. I've told you over the years that I've had a lot of people that came from different religions come to me and try to help, to help them to convert to Judaism. I've even had people that were anti-Semites. One case, there was a Nazi, literally a Nazi came to me, told me that my lectures have helped his life. He wants to convert to Judaism. Other cases, people that didn't necessarily care for Jews want to convert to Judaism or like Judaism. But nothing is better than seeing it in front of your eyes. A person I've never heard of. In fact, a person that came as perfect as can be. A gift from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to sanctify his name. Literally, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us a gift. Here you go. The biggest gift that you could ever get in the world. Kiddush Hashem in public. You could all see it. In the lecture last week, called Mikveh Night, one of the parts of the series called Jewish Intimacy, this person makes a public comment. His name is Georgi Porvanov. Hopefully I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And he writes as follows. Again, I've never heard of this person, and apparently he never heard of me until recently. And he says this. I've been an anti-Semite for as long as I remember. So when I watched a video where someone cut two minutes of your usury video, I thought you were bragging about it. But today, I found a longer version with your name in it and had to find you and apologize personally for thinking you were evil. You're actually great. And I'll subscribe and spread your videos around. A person that has been an anti-Semite, a hater of Jews his whole life, saw the very same videos that the Reshaim said is creating anti-Semitism and says, this video led me to the truth that you teach, which makes me realize the Jews are amazing. The Jews that observe the Torah, the Jews that follow the Torah, the Jews that are glued to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now I'm no longer anti-Semitic. Now I love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now I'm going to share his Torah. How can you do such a thing with one video? Bring all the missionaries in the world to every synagogue. You're never going to make one anti-Semite love Jews. In fact, they're going to hate you even more. Just like happened in the 1800s, just like happened in the 1900s. Jews converted to Christianity, anti-Semitism increased. Destroy the Torah in every way, tell people all types of mumbo-jumbo about how God loves you and how God leads you and how God this and that, all types of things that are against the Torah, you're never going to make one, one Jew more religious, one Jew closer to the Torah. In the end, they're all going to become heretics and abandon it. 
just like the Enlightenment period, just like the Reform, that the Conservative, the modern Orthodox have done for the last couple of hundred years. They've all modified the Torah, they've all destroyed the Torah. All of their kids either converted to Christianity, are complete heretics, secular, and simply are removed from the Torah as literally animals are in a jungle. Our job is to bring them back for what you did. How? By publicizing the truth, even if it hurts. Why? Because publicizing the truth that is painful, it's only painful to those that don't want the truth. It's only painful to those that hate the truth and want to continue living a lie. HaKadosh Baruch stamp is emit. When you go out there and put your neck on the line, put your reputation on the line, put your everything on the line, just to publicize HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't leave anybody short-counted. He tells you, you did this, don't worry. The time is going to come, and I will publicize this. Truth. When everyone else says, oh, he's fanatic, he's crazy, he's creating anti-Semitism, Show me one of these clowns that made one anti-Semitic person love the Torah or love Judaism or love anything about Jews. I can show you dozens of anti-Semites that have become religious people, either Noahites or literally Jews, as a result of the same truth that we've told all of everybody out there. Why? Because it's not me. It has nothing to do with me. The Torah is the best product in the world. It sells itself. As long as you don't destroy it by changing it, it sells itself. The minute you put your touch on it, your version of the truth, you've already turned it into something else. You've already turned it into a lie. It's no longer authentic. Keep the Torah as the Kadosh Baruch Hu said it. He expects you to make mistakes. He expects you to fail from time to time. But don't expect yourself to fail. Try more. Do more. Try harder. Pick yourself up. You disrespected your Ima? Say, I'm sorry. You disrespected your Abba? Say, I'm sorry. You disrespected your Creator? Say, I'm sorry. Don't say, ah, he needs me anyway. No, he doesn't need you. You need him. And every day, when you wake up in the morning, you remember, he doesn't need you. You need him. And as long as you remember that, perhaps that heresy will be a little further from you and it's not going to influence you as much as it has. And maybe his will that all of these heretics, all of these Rishayim, will hear these words and it will break their klipa to do tshuva. And when they do tshuva, we will be the first to dance with them and celebrate with them. Because after all, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants them to do Shabbat too. But if they don't, they will continue being the enemies of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and by default, the enemies of anyone that loves HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Thank you for learning with me. May Hashem bless each and every single one of you. And thank you for joining me for this massive Kiddush Hashem where an anti-Semite has turned into someone that loves the Torah and the Jews that teach it. Kol Tuv, Bachab We'll see each other later this week.
This book that I received in uh, Aventura Chabad is one of the best books I ever read, and I recommend it to everybody who wants some knowledge in the Torah to get this book. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat. Hashem says, listen, you can do this, or you can do this. For me, it's pretty simple. At the end of the day, we came from dust, and we have to take a step back, truly understand what the purpose of being here is. Hashem didn't have to put us here. I want you guys to do good. I'm going to give you each and every single one of you a test. I want you to pass it. I'm going to give you the tools to pass it. You have the choice. Because guess what? At the end of that test, the reward is going to be amazing. Avram God test. Yitzhak Avino God test. Yago Avino. Yosef. I don't think I can pass that. It's a lie if I said I could. Any man today that says they can pass Yosef athletic test is lying. Flat out. And to see what they were able to do, wow. If they can do it under those circumstances, I could never imagine if my siblings would throw me in a pit. I would be depressed. I'd be angry. But to see these examples and to really learn and know that Hashem is everywhere is something that is key to growing.